Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast with me, Luca Parry. Today, we've got a wonderful conversation and a wonderful guest, and it's with Alex Battenson. He's the Senior Deputy Head at Lord's Wandsworth College in Hampshire in the United Kingdom. Previous to that, he was on the Senior Leadership Team at Wells Cathedral School in Somerset and has taught at other colleges across the UK. He's currently Chair of Educational Futures at Harvard's Human Flourishing Program, and in May last year, he was one of 51 individuals convened to discuss the future of education at Salzburg Global Seminar in Austria, which, funnily enough, is where we met, Alex. So it's wonderful to reconnect with you. It is. Um, of course, yeah, great to see you again, Luke. It's really good. It's really good. Of course, we had some of that work that was then published at the UN Conference for Transforming Education in New York. Um, and Alex also has, well, he's an RSA fellow as well but has a master's in learning and teaching from Oxford and is currently in the last year of a doctorate in leadership, learning and policy from Bristol University. I'd love to know how that's going, mate, and how close you are to that. But welcome to the podcast and really excited to discuss education transformation with you. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. Mate, so question one is just, it's kind of a broad question, but this is really this entire podcast, my entire raison d'etre is really about unlocking learning, the art, the science, the craft. What are you learning? What's one thing you're learning at the moment that you want to share? Yeah, cool. So I connected a little bit with a doctorate that you mentioned and then some conversations that I'm having around change. And yesterday I had a really interesting conversation that followed up on some research I was doing. It's mm. put pretty simply, but I think uh, there's some interesting sort of uh, concepts behind it. But this fellow I was talking to was discussing three different types of change. So incremental change, transformational change, and disruptive change. Interesting. And for me, it was interesting on sort of two levels. So one, yeah. how a school might be able to consider how they are engaging in change. What are they incrementally doing, mm -hmm. uh, tweaking, uh, yeah, making even better, sustaining? Yeah. Uh, what are they transforming? What, uh, you know, one or two things are they becoming, you know, best in class at? And then what are they disrupting? So, you know, what one area are they are they really disrupting the world of education with? They're creating mm. the future of education in a particular area. And, you know, this this guy I was talking to was was also just sort of chatting about the nature of disruption. Yeah. And I think I'd sometimes used transformation disruption as, as synonyms and perhaps they are through one perspective he was arguing that uh, that they're not and disruption contains destruction uh -huh. so if you're going to disrupt something uh, and if you're going to disrupt a, a system for example then there's got to be some decay and destruction of the present yes to you know as part of being involved in that disruptive process yeah. Whereas transformation doesn't necessarily have that destruction and decay, which I thought was a really interesting way of looking at it. Mate, that's a really great start. I think it's a big great chat. But look, because absolutely a lot of the conversations we've had so far, are, and you can see the bias really is towards the transformation agenda that's required and work that we've put together and, and clearly that even the UN is focused on in terms of its transforming education summit and that being the the headline. And um you know, we've we've had a wonderful conversation with with Lasse on this podcast as well from Hundred. He talks about you know how difficult it is to let things go, like to let things decay in education. It feels almost against uh, 
our duty of care in some ways. It's like, you know, it seems like and you're currently in a school, you know, in a leadership role alongside your other international work. Clearly, it's just like, here's another thing to do as opposed to what do we let go of? You know, what kind of, and it's the creative destructive nature of entrepreneurship or innovation, you know, and disruptive innovation, um, as of course, it's also been famously framed at. What's your, do you think that's the right balance? You know, seven, like 70, 20, 10? 70% improvement, 20% transformation, 10% disruption. Do you, or do you think that now in the age of AI, do you think there really needs to be a different way of thinking about it? Yeah, interesting question. I think I think ultimately when I think about education and when you do, Luca, and I'm sure when so many of the, the listeners do, I think we're actually talking about the future of humanity. Mm. And we're yes. talking about education as a you know as a guide through to that future as a as a hand a comforting compassionate loving inspirational hand to hold as we investigate the possible futures of humanity in a in an era you know whereas i'm sure you know um listeners will uh, will connect to you know is pretty challenging at the moment in lots of different ways you know i think we live in an age of gaps widening gaps all over the place and um yeah. you know we need a, a a society that can can bring that together that can heal wounds that can you know be optimistic about mm. the future with you know hope and educated hope you know in a in a way that that brings realities to 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 ball so i i think part of that there's sort of massive stakeholder management in any process of change yeah and, and i i definitely think that that thinking about what to let go of is really important Come back to your question. Yeah, I think what and, and and it's all interconnected, isn't it? And I think part of the the issue with our education system, and therefore part of the issue perhaps with with people like me who who work in the education system, are that we can take on some of the systemic thinking within the system we're in. So yeah, you know, I may well be blinded by the fact that you know we do this and the systems affected me. I affect the system. You know, we sustain each other. So. Yeah, I think it's really interesting before we get to that point of thinking what to let go or what to innovate or what have you, but to go through a a stage of of personal transformation first nice. to develop a really clear purpose within who we are, um, you know, to have a dream, you know, not a, a mission statement or a goal or, you know, if it's good enough for Martin Luther King, it's good enough for us, you know, yeah. but have have a dream, have, have a six six word max statement of what we're all about in life as as a, as a person you know that's lofty that's yeah. ambitious you know we might might not hit it but you know we're going to chase it and and once we've gone through that sort of process uh we're more aware of ourselves we we're really aware of our context and all the things that might affect the system that we're in then i think we can start envisaging a future yeah we can start thinking about what might be uh currently happening in the present that is enabling that future vision and also what's you know the way to the past like what's happened in the past and therefore what's been influenced now that might be holding that vision back yeah and and once we have that holistic view i think we can then decide actually i think we should be you know starting to let this sort of gently subside or actually this needs to be hit really hard straight away we need to try and minimize this we need to try and find a way of 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 amplifying this of mm. of 
moving these pieces to enable this to emerge. So it's a really holistic sort of systems design thinking view within an organization. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a challenge and an opportunity, right? Right. It's, it's so much, oh, so much about the way we see, I think. And even like, do we see problems or do we see possibilities? Do we narrow our frame of reference or do we open our frame of reference? And of course, double diamond thinking and human design and design thinking and all the rest of it. But also like this futures literacy work that is work that we do quite a lot of at The Learning Future, because it's yeah. this idea of we actually are trying to learn to see differently by visiting the future five plus years beyond the current strategic cycle. How do we stretch ourselves such that we can sever our relationship to kind of old constructs. And so I kind of, I, I also love what you said about, I have a dream and, and kind of transformation. You know, I, I think it's Gandhi. It's one wonderful quote. It's like, we're all out there trying to change the world, but we must start by changing ourselves. And like all transformation begins with inner transformation, self-transformation, like the interior sciences that meet the exterior world. You know, how we see ourselves is how we often see the world. And all that kind of personal work and hence the leadership work that, and much of the work that you've led and been part of. But this, this question I have for you is like, is one around the construct. I'd be a bit stronger um, than you said, you know, we, we may well, I think you said, we may well kind of have internalized part of that. I think we absolutely do that, Alex. We do. We internalize the systems in which we live, work, learn, play. They become us. And so I guess my question yeah. to you is, and then we become, you know, it's not willfully blind. We just, it just becomes the unknown unknowns. It's, it's kind of, the, this is the David Foster Wallace, what is water? If you ask fish, what is water? They don't know the answer because it's, it's everywhere around them. They've never had to ask. They've never been outside of water. And it's, I think like if you're in a, in, you're in a school or in a system, or if I'm in an organization over here or doing our work, we all just start to internalize this stuff. And then we end up with these mental models that actually have all these assumptions baked into them. So how do, how have you learned to see differently, Alex? Because that's what I've got in our conversations, you know, since Salzburg is that you are, you, you are absolutely attempting to see the future as one that matters for humanity, not for just employability, which is, which is critical, but you know, so how would you reflect on that very, you know, surface level question? <laughs> And, and look, I, I wish I could tell you that, um, you know, a number of years ago, I, I intentionally set out to uh, to challenge my own thinking and to think differently and to engage in personal transformation. I wish I could tell you that, but in actual fact, I sort of stumbled across it rather than it being anything intentional. I think it probably plays a little bit to, to my own story mm. and going to... Uh, you know, wanting to to sort of make a bit of career out of out of rugby when I was a bit younger. Uh, you know, going to you know what in effect was a was a sort of polytechnic, not getting a great degree, focusing on the wrong stuff, um, and then you know going through becoming a PE teacher, which is where I started out. Um, yeah. Chatting to my wife actually, who was a history teacher and um, uh, still is, and. Uh, and she talked to me a lot about pedagogy and I thought, crikey, actually, you know, through my own PE teaching degree, I hadn't necessarily recognized yeah. pedagogy uh, and the science of, of teaching and learning. And that really gripped me. And mm. so I, I did that. And I suppose, you know, then I, I just tried to stay 
uh, really open to difference. So along my journey, my teaching and coaching journey, I met some really inspirational people. So for mm. me, Brian Ashton, uh, who used to coach the England rugby side, you know, wow. he's always been an absolute outlier in in global coaching. Uh, you know, the, the sort of vision that he has had for creating difference and inspiring the future of coaching. That you know, I was privileged enough to meet him, and we've developed a relationship over the years where. That sort of thinking quite early on i was probably 24 25 when i met him yeah and so it's been sort of disruptive influences there and and then there's there's a book called um uh, steel like an artist uh-huh. and that sort of sums up approach actually it's it's just been sort of magpieing from as many different people as possible who have been outside of the realm of teaching ideally started off with talking about pedagogy and and and, uh, and and how that can be transformational for a, for a person and as a, as a teacher, but then just meeting lots of people who challenge the status quo, mm. and that I think then enabled me to put a mirror on my own life, and and how actually, you know, I should challenge the status quo too. So how can this guy who, you know, underperformed at a um, you know at a, at a university, you know, actually transform himself? So I went on that personal journey, yeah. took that pedagogy on. You know, went to Oxford now in the latter stages, thank goodness, of a doctorate. Um, <laughs> well and I've just exposed myself to as much difference as possible. I think, I think that's really been been key to it, uh, to try and unlock uh, my assumptions, become more self-aware of the system that I'm in and the yes. things that affect me and try and shape me and then be better placed to try and push back where I don't agree with it. Oh, beautiful, Alex. That's a really powerful story and because it's a story that's in some ways it has universal elements to it, which is this, like, what are we choosing in our lives? Are we choosing to expand uh, or are we choosing to contract? And I just wonder about our systems sometimes that, that we've inherited. And we, we call these often legacy systems or palliative systems. If we're being less polite, you know, um, mental models that are no longer in service of, of true human flourishing, they are in service of organization or of an efficiency paradigm. Um, or of a standardization agenda, which were important at one point in history, but now are no longer at all fit for purpose. So it's not, of course, our fault that we're in these systems. They were designed long ago and they weren't, they're not broken. They just operate in existing mental models that are no longer in service of true human growth, development, multidimensionally, social, emotional, cognitive, physical, spiritual, the whole human, not least of all in this digital era. So I'd, I'd love, I just love that story, mate. And this idea of stepping outside to look backwards or to look back into where one has come from. And I mean, every element of our life, every holonic evolution, you know, where we kind of put another, another layer, um, of course, that we still have the core, but we have another layer. Isn't that kind of, we build this way. So I, I, wanted, I want you to talk a little bit to the human flourishing program at Harvard, because as chair of the Ed Futures work there, clearly the repurposing of education is part of this. It's telling the new story or the new education stories, our big change friends would say, who have also been on the podcast. But, you know, how do you think that that reframe, that repurposing, um, how impactful can that be? So, yeah, I think... I think it's really important to to think about flourishing in its 
multi-dimensional concepts uh you know putting the individual right at the heart of of an education process you know we talked a lot about systems and a lot about change so far um and, and we haven't talked about individuals and of course you know young people parents uh, teachers society every member of society you know education is everyone's business and i think thinking about flourishing uh is is i think the the first thing that we think about uh, we then think about education and how education can help societal flourishing and the future of humanity. I think that's uh, that's the right way to do it. I think yeah. we've got to, I talked about a dream earlier on. I think we've got to, got to chase that big dream and, and then think about the ways in which we can enable society to be co-constructed if, if it wishes to be, um, you know, towards those dreams. With the features. Co-produced yeah. of, Alex, of, how- of what the future can be. How would you say, just for people that don't know this construct of flourishing, you know, it sounds lovely. And um, how would you define that? How would you explain the difference between flourishing and achieving, for example? So for me, flourishing is around having a deep sense of fulfillment. So not necessarily a happiness. I'm sure happiness comes into it, but a a fulfillment, a sense of purpose, mm. uh, a recognition of ourselves in a, in a positive way, a contentment in relation to, to where we are in the world, who we're interacting with, and how we're experiencing that interaction in life. And I think flourishing is is absolutely about how we experience all of that together. Um, it's absolutely about love. It's absolutely mm. about riding challenges, how we ride the challenges of life. It's absolutely about connecting with people, collaborating with people, co-creating with people, mm. and committing to to what our purpose is. For, for me, that's that's a a really strong insight into to how I view flourishing. Mm. Gosh, it's beautiful. We got some four C's there, haven't we? We've got, um, <laughs> we got yeah, co-creating, connecting, collaborating, committing. They've always been C's and for some reason, you know. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good yeah, letters right. to start things with. I I wonder. Um, I wonder, Alex, about. What we're really talking about here is kind of the deep is one of the deepest spiritual question there is like what's it all for what's a life well lived what's an education well um well made well experienced and i feel like part of that is the measurement piece that we haven't discussed today but there's something about we can seeing the data for example when you think of the science of learning you know in this in this case like knowing there's been a shift from one state to another quantitatively and qualitatively so how, how do you see that like the the flourishing program and other movements like it you know like the flourishing work from UPenn and um martin seligman for example with perma plus v and all these other kind of models around well-being like you know the oecd doing their study for in social and emotional skills across the world for example that, that we're connected through salzburg to so how do you think that that like because there is like a change in the narrative and then there's kind of the level below and you're in the school 
you could have a, the nicest vision statement ever. I'm sure you do. But the hidden grammar of the school is actually what matters. It's what's happening day to day. And you get a report card or something and it's got, if it's got nothing on flourishing in it, well then of clearly there's this disconnect. What's, what's your, your view on kind of the measurement or the, the way that we can kind of strengthen empirically um, that this transformation, this change? I think certainly the group that I chair out of the community of practice, uh, you know, I, th I think we would would feel that at the moment there are pretty pretty basic measurements of success in schools. Um, we've got sort of historical hangovers with with academic measurements, and in this country, that's GCSEs and and, and A levels predominantly. Yes, uh, and they have a purpose, and they've had a purpose, and at the same time. In a snapshot, they tell us very little, I would argue, about uh, the, the beautiful complexity of an individual. And it's that beautiful complexity that mm. enables an individual to flourish when, you know, almost like sort of two, two neurons, when they're sort of sending messages to each other and yes. making new connections and, and exploring possibilities. You know, it's, it's not a rudimentary set of schools. It's the beautiful complexity of a person uh, that, mm. that, you know, is where you know, flourishing in its heart is located. And so I think there are lots of different models out there that are looking to try and appreciate the diversity of a human being and how we might be able to uh, support the development of, of an individual within their journey and how we can take, a, if we want to take a snapshot, how we can take a, a snapshot of the multiplicity of, of their uh, capabilities at that moment in time through yeah. their journey of development. Um, I think the mastery transcripts from a school's yeah. perspective is is interesting in the in the US and and more broadly. Yeah, uh, I know that rethinking assessment based in the UK are doing some really interesting work in regards to a you know a really holistic portfolio for an individual uh, that that represents uh, their multiple intelligences. Mm. rather than uh, the relatively narrow set that that could be um you know represented via uh via the sort of traditional grading system academically so mm. there are absolutely models out there that that seek to represent the complexity of, of a human being and certainly with my research hat on yeah uh, you know this is this is absolute social science territory it is i think any sort of model that's created needs to bear context in mind uh, and the community within which an individual is is being raised in and 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 also you know maybe certain key attributes that a community might uh, might might agree upon um as as well as just making sure that it's 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 broad and personalized and supportive so that, yeah. that something is there not to say right you know the the aim of this measure is to put you in a box and you know give you anxiety and huh. you know et cetera et cetera it's to it's to enable you and the people around you to uh, recognize where you might be at the moment and think about where you might want to travel next along this purpose journey and what you might want to make even better and you know what you frankly think isn't good enough at the moment and what you should celebrate yeah so i think a holistic view is really important mm. it really feels like post-covid if i can be bold in that statement um that we are you know well-being as a key construct and narrative agency, co-agency, um, as another, you know, sense of connectedness and belonging, like 
what are the best, what are the most human things about our schools? These kind of experiences, you know, the embodiment work that PE teachers have been doing for a very long time, you know, out of the mind, into the yeah. body, the body mind connection that we, the science, the cutting edge sciences are just really revealing some remarkable things about how our minds can make us sick and they can therefore make us well. You know, our thoughts literally shape our physical health. I mean, these, yeah. this kind of, this empirical ground is really being expanded at such a rapid rate. And we haven't even pressed go on AI on some of this stuff. <laughs> it's gonna, that's what happened to. So I just think oh, this, yeah. this, um, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, this piece on, I think it, this human flourishing, the irreducibly unique, it was 86 billion neurons in the human brain or something. And so, you know, how are they, that makes all of us pretty unique because no one has the same brain anywhere. And so how might we contribute? What might be ours to do in the economy, in our community, in our world, in our society? I mean, those, those seems to be the questions and, and your piece on fulfillment. I mean, what if, Alex, if when we thought about the role that schools played, we centralized fulfillment as its key raison d'etre instead of achievement. I mean, that that itself mm. would be such a transformation. I think there would be different decisions made and different structures mm. proposed. Um, mm. I've got two final questions for you. Uh, just to speak to that point, I Please. think um, what came up to me there was the importance of of intergenerational work, mm. which I think both of us, <clears throat> excuse me, really, really passionate about. Yeah. And in enabling adults, particularly, and talking for myself, it's this is part, this has been part, I think, of my personal transformation, learning to hold space for young people rather than power over them has been a, an, an absolute sort of key part of, of thinking about how to create more uh, sustainable and, and just futures by working with young people and breaking down that hierarchy that can exist so frequently in 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 society because you know the the history that that we've been built upon um i'm not saying that's all bad i'm not sort of at one extreme or the other but just you know it's just really interesting to hold that intention yes and so to explore intergenerational leadership and intergenerational co-construction and co-production is i think a, an absolute aspect of of my sort of vision for for society and, and for humanity through education mm. and then you mentioned uh fulfillment and and success and and i think certainly in regards to change you know even if we're going to turn the turn the needle by you know sort of move a school an inch to the left it, it's absolutely about raising the consciousness of the different aspects that we might want to be achieving. And you, earlier in the conversation, we were talking about becoming more self-aware yeah. of us, becoming more self-aware of the structures and systems that we, we've we lived in and been brought up in and how they're having an effect on us. Yes. And so actually holding fulfillment alongside uh, a community's definition of success, yeah. holding them in a healthy tension yes. to be able to talk to communities and have that discursive conversation mm. in regards to where do we want to go with these things are they mutually exclusive um yeah. you know to what extent can they work together and merge let's have a conversation about that but let's not just have a conversation about that with people who think the same who are the same age as us let's have conversations about that with people you know with a diversity of people who 
can co-construct and let's be authentic in what we're saying. So if we if we're saying we believe in co-constructed futures in this way, then our sort of methodology of going through this process has got to involve co-construction and authentic co-construction. We've got to show integrity there. So yeah, I just wanted to share those, yeah, the two things came Brilliant. Um, yeah. inspirational. Yeah, they, they triggered that with me. So, <laughs> Mate, absolutely, just keep ping ponging all the time. Um, oh, that, that, I mean, that's why we think co-design is really the future of any system change. You need multi-stakeholder, yeah. Yeah. diverse perspectives that put the pl problem yeah. in the middle, that possibility set in the middle, or the challenge catalog, come up collectively with a range of solutions using, you know, divergent and convergent thinking techniques, and then prototype them and test them. And then from that place, upscale yep. or even better spread, you know, which means yep. spreading versus scaling, um, you know, metaphor spreading contextually relevant, scaling, pressing the button and hoping it goes to scale, which is also another way. But mate, so much more we could talk about. Let's make this part one. Um, I, my final question <laughs> to you, Alex, is simply this. What's your take home message based on what you're thinking about in our conversation tonight? What would you like our listeners to, you know, to have ruminating in their minds. I think do everything you can whilst paying attention to what matters to you most in life. Do everything you can to reach out within networks, to have conversations, to speak to different perspectives to your own to build a vision within yourself mm. for what you would want humanity to look like and find where your niche is within that. Find where your area of most vibrant flourishing is for you within that. And once you've got that vision, chase it. Mm. Be content that life is complex and things will emerge and we can't plan everything. But be honest with yourself, with your purpose. Operate with your ABCs. Be ambitious for it. Believe in it. And be, be courageous enough to follow through with it. And you'll find that there's a community out there to support you with it. Mm -hmm. um, and we're two examples. There we go. That's probably a... <laughs> Alex, that's great. I was kind of getting... Gone. I was kind of getting vibes of like being kind of on the rugby field, like, you know, just before the second of it, about to go out and face the wallabies or something, mate. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you've obviously had to coming, coming up, coming up this year to a TV mate. screen near you. Right. Brilliant. 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 Love it. Um, Alex, thank you so much for your time, mate, all the way there from the UK. Um, this has been a delightful discussion on flourishing, fulfillment, system change, individual pursuit of of what matters most in life. Uh, and, you know, the fact that we can't transform anything unless we start with ourselves. So, mate, thank you for joining us and all the best with the journey ahead. Absolute pleasure, Luca. Thanks very much. And thanks for everyone joining, tuning in. Appreciate it.